Let's take a little time and talk now about the state that we are living in. Political, spiritual, maybe some life. While you are listening to Phyllis Favor. Welcome back to the pastor's office. It's Pastor Jonathan Mason, and I'm so glad to be able to speak with you this afternoon. First of all, I, I got to ask you, what happened this summer? It seems like summer left very quickly. Uh, as soon as Labor Day descended upon us, uh, I typically try to wear shorts all the way up until around late October, but uh, I, I think a message is being conveyed that I need to pull my pants out uh, because it is getting cold here in the city of Philadelphia. Uh, but nonetheless, it is a beautiful Sunday afternoon. And we are thankful to have you here with us uh, in the pastor's office. Uh, The November elections are coming up quick. And last week, uh, we were anticipating having a conversation with the Republican nominee for mayor uh, of the city of Philadelphia, David O. Uh, But unfortunately, uh, he got into a bit of a car accident Uh, and was not able to join us. Uh, But we are thankful to God that he is okay, uh, that the other vehicle and person that were involved in the accident are okay. And guess what, Philly's favorite listeners, he's here with us today. So for the second time, let's welcome into the pastor's office the Republican nominee for mayor of the city of Philadelphia, the 100th mayor uh, of the city of Philadelphia, uh, former city council member David O. Uh, David, welcome into the pastor's office again. Thank you very much, Pastor. It's great to join you. Well, first of all, as I said earlier, we're glad you're okay. Uh, we're glad you're back out on the campaign trail and doing all the things that you need to do. Uh, it could have gone another way, but we're thankful to God that you're all right, and we welcome you here today. Yes, thank you, and absolutely. I mean, uh, both parties fine. A uh, little damage to our vehicles, but, uh, you know, wonderful that uh, everybody's okay. So, so... You are the Republican nominee for mayor, okay? Philadelphia is one of the largest cities in the country. It's clearly a city that you loved. You've served in the council, and and you've been serving the city for a long time. To be one step away from becoming mayor, how does that make you feel? Well, yes. Um, Well, it it feels like a heavy responsibility. Um, Yes, there are two candidates, and... um, to be one of the candidates is a step closer, as you said, but it's really a step closer to be to being able to answer the problems. This is not a good time for our city, and we are looking at the same problems, only worse, uh, that we have been dealing with for decades. Uh, we have had some uh, good parts in our city, but, but the last few years in Philadelphia has been very hard for people, especially 
you know, the homicide rate and then all the issues of um, high property tax, pushing people out of their homes, depression, drug addiction, um, so many other issues about what's the future for young people in this city. So it, it is uh, a awesome responsibility. It is exciting in a sense because I would love to have the opportunity to work hard and serve the citizens of our city. And above all, I feel a calling, Pastor. Um, that is why I resigned my seat um, in city council. Uh, and that is why I, I ran to, to give the voters a choice but mostly to to step forward and to present maybe a different way of doing things, uh, maybe one that is closer to Scripture, uh, one that is more biblical in its sense. I'm a person of faith, and and I don't, you know, I understand the difference between um, separation of church and state, but we cannot separate God out of of what we do. Uh, we cannot remove. Uh, God from our, our, you know, government and, and from our part person. And so for me, it's a, an opportunity to move forward and to try to present the solutions for our city that are found in the Word of God. You, you've outlined a few uh, of the challenges that we're facing with the city. Let's try to uh, deal with them uh, individually. First of all, the issue of drugs in our community, in our city, uh, is really at an epidemic level. Uh, I'm not too far from Kensington. Uh, and in Kensington, I mean, it, there's open air usage there. Uh, and yeah. and now with uh, some of the new drugs that are out, uh, there are now skin-eating drugs that people yeah. are using. Uh, and you can see the effect. Some of these people uh, that I see that when we go to deliver food, they're walking around, they look like zombies. And and yeah. it seems like there's nobody there to help them, to give them direction. You know, in, in a David O. administration, how would we deal with the addicts? Let's deal with the addicts first. How would we deal with the addicts? Well, the first thing is, um, I think where this administration and many of the kind-hearted people have gone wrong is you cannot treat someone who is not able to make good decisions as the key decision maker. You cannot allow them and enable them to continue to do drugs, get drugs, use drugs. It is changing their uh, physiology. It is changing their, uh, their being traumatized, the way they get their money. All of those things are, are grossly negative. And so uh, I am very clear. They are not a of sound judgment. We are. So we will not allow uh, the uh, drug dealers to occupy the spaces. But the drug dealers are only there because of so many drug-addicted persons coming from all over this region to Philadelphia and in particular to Kensington because they know that is an area where no laws are enforced, where the police are told not to arrest, where they can shoot drugs in front of police, they can prostitute right in front of uh, uh, neighbors and community members, where there is a huge influx of, of mostly men looking for sexual favors for money. Uh, all of this is ruining the community and has gone to a, a level that is, is beyond uh, 
any type of uh, recognition at this point in time. So under my administration, we're going to start enforcing the law. It is the first way that we can have some balance and normalcy in a democratic process. These laws were created uh, through that process. They have been found to be uh, strong by the judicial system. Uh, and uh, what I will do is I will instruct our police to enforce those laws. Now, when the laws are enforced, we will see uh, right away that less people are coming into Philadelphia to do their activities. When we start enforcing against dumping, illegal dumping, and all the other byproducts of this, we shall see um, a change in the community. It's, it's For the drug-addicted persons, uh, they are better off not coming to our city because what they leave behind in their communities is uh, detox, behavioral health, mental health, and other services, bed space, and things like that. We are overwhelmed in this city, and therefore we cannot provide the quality or better quality service that we need to um, for those who are drug addicted. And I think the worst thing we can do is what we're doing now, just neglecting them. They're living on the streets. They're living in tents. And again, they're continuing through this uh, zombie-like, you know, they are... They are brought into uh, this lifestyle of, of drug addiction, and the years will go by, and, and, and it is very difficult uh, the more that they are engaged in this lifestyle to bring them back. Um, not only has their brain changed, but when they, when they are off that cycle, they, they begin to recall all the humiliating uh, things that they have done, all the regretful things. And... And so they are self-medicating. They are medicating, and that is a big problem. So as quickly as we can, we need to intervene for their sake. And then by doing that, we give them hope. We give them opportunity. Uh, and, and we need to break up just the mass, the overwhelming mass of problems that they bring to this community. And then the community suffers uh, as a result. You're listening to Philly's Favor 100.7 FM. We're talking to the Republican nominee uh, for mayor of the city of Philadelphia. Elections coming up uh, in November. David, thank you for that answer regarding um, what we would do about drugs in the city of Philadelphia. Uh, you talked about taxes and how they are increasing. Uh, and in, in many cases, people who've grown up in certain neighborhoods can't even afford to live in those neighborhoods anymore. Yeah. Uh, what would yeah. we do? What would an old administration do about that? Well, uh, I I have been fighting against these improper tax increases for at least five years. I was just looking at something. I did a, a hearing, I held a hearing in 2018, and I introduced the bill to, to stop, um, you know, the, the tax assessment process, which is the reason we have overtaxation of some of the poorest people in our city. Um, this assessment methodology uh, was found to be uh, below industry standard uh, by an independent audit of city council. How then do we continue? to increase people's taxes in a way that is completely unreasonable and inconsistent with surrounding um, uh, property assessments. So as mayor, I will immediately uh, rework um, the Office of Property Assessment. I will want to see that instead of just um, looking at zip codes and coming up with numbers, you know, anyone who has tried to challenge their, their property tax increases uh, find that there's oftentimes a complete lack of data 
which is being used. Uh, they don't know how many bedrooms, how many bathrooms. They have no real idea of what's happening in your in your home. And, and they tell me they only need to, to know square footage. Well, that's completely wrong. And so what we've seen is horrendous cases where two adjoining houses, uh, both worth about $110,000, one year um, later, one house, it's gone down 1000 to 109000 but the house right next to it looks looks just exactly the same, has gone from 110000 to 350000 Now, how do the people in that house pay the taxes? Um, now, you know, that to me is government uh, bullying and muscling people, and we see it all over our city. What everybody knows is this. In the poorest, most violent neighborhoods of our city, uh, uh, property taxes are doubling and more than doubling, and the people are not able to pay that nor should they. They are not living in, in, in wonderful neighborhoods with all kinds of great amenities uh, that their house would be uh, uh, valued at $400,000. But when they can't pay the taxes, then someone comes in at sheriff sale and buys that house, and they will make it a, mil- a million-dollar house. Uh, and, and the people who buy it and then uh, transfer it to their children or sell it will make the money that, that the people in the community have lived and suffered there uh, have not been able to to benefit from. So to me, when I look at what is happening in our city, I blame the city itself for what is like a, a horrendous gentrification problems. Um, if we just accurately um, assess property values and if we uh, weave into that, how do people actually live? If they have gun violence, if they have murder, if they have drug addiction all throughout their neighborhoods, it is not worth whatever the material uh, number that uh, the Office of Property Assessment is placing on it. And then it is very difficult to appeal, and most people don't have the know-how or the money to do that. So I am going to rework the assessment process. What I want is fair taxes. And what we're going to find is the total amount of tax revenues that we've that we've claimed is owed to the city is much lower. What that then produces is the fact that we need to uh, uh, grow our city's economy, bring in more jobs, create more investment, and do the things where we can have people pay taxes because they're making more money. Um, We need more taxpayers, not fewer taxpayers paying more of burden. And um, in order to do that, we do have to, one, get rid of crime, because that's a big reason why our economy is, is failing. We have to enforce things such as retail theft, because that's why so many stores are closing. And with that, uh, elderly people, seniors are unable to get their pharmaceuticals, uh, their medication, because, um, you know, uh, when, when CVS and Rite Aid close, those are these stores that make these things available to people. So I will have a fair process of taxation, and I'm already looking at growing the economy. And then there are entities and people in our city who make money in our city or off of our city that don't pay taxes. And it's, it's, uh, it's just because as we enter the new economy, technology, people are able to make money as from the city of Philadelphia, but they're not being taxed. I will look at a fair portion of taxes of them uh, because they're making money here in our city. The small business environment in Philadelphia uh, took a great hit during the pandemic. 
and we saw many businesses close. But, you know, even though it's not really being reported in the news much anymore, there's still many businesses in Philly that are struggling um, and and really need some assistance. Uh, You know, talk to us about how you would help them out. Yeah, um, you know, it, it's so important that um, people be able to uh, have a small business. I mean, that's really economic independence, and it provides people who are creative, innovative, or uh, they want to they be their own boss and opportunity. Um, many people, such as many of our immigrant communities, they can't just walk down to uh, uh, Comcast and get a job. Many of our citizens have been formerly incarcerated, and uh, they need opportunities as well. So one of the things is having uh, a lot of uh, small businesses, small shops that cater to uh, the neighborhoods and communities is very important. But they've been punished. Um, And I'm not exactly sure the reasons why, but I will say at the end of the day, um, city government has been uh, in Philadelphia not friendly to small business. Um, what I would do is really look at uh, a couple of things. The first thing, again, and unfortunately it's a common theme, crime is a big problem. A lot of store owners and their customers, you know, they modify their, their shopping habits because of crime. And if there are a lot of murders and other types of crimes, people don't want to go out and purchase things. And they have an option. They can do online purchases. Um, the uh, cost of maintaining a storefront uh, a business has gone up, increasing cost inflation. But also, once again, if the city is overtaxing these businesses, if it is, uh, listen, we need regulation, of course, but overregulation, uh, punishing businesses, um, hitting them with penalties and fines continuously uh, really drives them out of the, out of business. And as you just mentioned, many businesses, uh, you know, are struggling because of the pandemic. And then some of the uh, civil unrest. Um, I know personally. Uh, in other words, when I say personally, I actually know and looked at the fact that, for example, in the Korean American community, over uh, seventy businesses were uh, shut down after the. Um, after the pandemic and and some of the civil unrest, and they've not reopened. So, you know, we are trying to get back to tourism. We're trying to get into other things. But on my part, you know, when we take care of crime, the city has to have a plan of economic growth. And for me, going into the communities and neighborhoods, it starts really with this. The people in the community need to have money to go to the store to purchase things. Um, Stores cannot survive. If the people in the community, in the neighborhoods, don't have the money to spend, uh, how they get their money, what kind of money they get is just as important. And and so spending their money on things that are good for their for the community, good for the family and will be beneficial to their children are the things we want to really emphasize and encourage, you know, in, in, in our city government. There are laws. People are able to um, open certain businesses. But certainly when people see so many smoke shops, smoke shop after smoke shop, um, it's discouraging to them. Uh, and, and so we want to encourage uh, businesses that really serve the community and serve it well through things like um, government-supported uh, programs of giving people a leg up to make their own money. We are not giving away money for no reason. We're helping people to, to stabilize themselves and, uh, and to develop the economy, to pay people. 
things like that. Um, and and, and I, I'll give an example that even when um, persons are making 120000 a year because they have a criminal history, they're unable to get a, mo- a mortgage. We know that they can pay back the loan. We know that they need a mortgage to purchase a home. That would be very helpful. They have paid their debt. And so as mayor, I will look at how the city can um, support or basically co-sign the loan for them um, so that they can purchase homes and things stabilize their family life for small businesses as well to help them to get into the modern uh, economy, to have safety, to have response from police, to have uh, the, the services that support their business and tie them into the community. You're listening to Philly's Favor 100.7 FM. We're having a great conversation with David O., who is the Republican nominee for mayor for the city of Philadelphia. Uh, David, listen, um, the education system here in our city definitely has its challenges. Depending upon zip code, in many ways, determines the type of education that our children are receiving, which I think is just unfair and unbalanced. How do we rectify that? Well, um, what you said is what everybody knows, that in our city, it's nothing new, that depending on what neighborhood you live is the quality of education your children get or that you have gotten or not gotten. What happened to vocational and career, you know, training, education? I mean, that's that's important because we know ahead of time that less than 30 percent of our young people are are going to go to college. We know that ahead of time. And that's not unusual. You can go to some of the wealthiest, most educated uh, countries in the world. They, too, have like 30 percent going to college. So 70 percent are not going to college. That does not mean that they are not going to be successful, intelligent, capable people. They just they just are looking for something different and they they can go back to school later. But if our education system is not meeting their needs, they're not interested in school. And so for me, uh, what you just said is critical. First of all, it's unconstitutional and illegal to have a, a public school system in the in the school district of Philadelphia where you can visibly see just great disparity in the quality of education and the resources available. So what, what I would do is, one, I would start with the new school board, and um, I do appoint them. Um, I am appointing them uh, basically in a different way, because when I was in council, I really looked at and I introduced bills um, that would change the school district, the school board, so that the city would be one school district but have five uh, zones. And there would be a school board member elected by the people of each zone so that five of them, the majority, would be elected by the people and four appointed by the mayor. So I would love to push that system in because I think there needs to be accountability and responsiveness to the people and a focus on a a more smaller portion of the city and for people to know who is responsible to tell them, like, what is happening in our school district. But immediately, I would appoint the nine, and then what I would do is say, basically, you five, you're going to represent these areas. I want you to go into those communities. I want you to have meetings with people. I want you to focus there. And, and, and number one, transparency. Let's tell everybody where the money is, how much money is being spent, how much goes into the classroom. And let's start with the tremendous disparity that is in our school system. 
let's look at what it takes to bring all the schools up to an equal level of opportunity of education, uh, academics, uh, career building, uh, music, art, all those things, plus vocational. And then I'd like to introduce the VET program that is so successful in Europe, where basically, if you choose that track, you get two years, ninth grade, 10th grade of business and academic study, 11th and 12th, you go into a place like Boeing, uh, Air, you know, uh, the Boeing company or, or Comcast or, or any major corporation where you get paid for basically working there two days a week and going to school three days a week. And when you're done, you get certified and you as a high school graduate are certified and able to get a very well-paying job, you know, through that process. We need that in order to maintain our employers and to grow our employers. And then I'm emphasizing overseas investment because we need a lot of construction. We need to do a lot of building, but I don't want to use the taxpayers' money here. I want to lower taxes for our residents, build the state-of-the-art buildings that will house the employers, and basically take the money that we are supposed to be doing affordable housing and put them into the community where they are most needed using neighborhood labor. That's something we often talk about. It hasn't been done, and I will do it. Okay, you definitely got a great agenda uh, and great plans for the city. But how do you get it done in a city that's seven to one Democrat? How, how How do you even see a pathway to being elected mayor of the city yeah. of Philadelphia. So this is a close race right now, Pastor. I mean, um, we put all things in God's hands. One, I have to work hard. I have to have a good plan. And I have to be astute about what the election actually is. Um, but the second thing is there's a lot of things that are not in my control. And, um, you know, they have to work out. Well, right now they are working out very well. And so, you know, this race is uh, a toss-up come November 7th. If I win, it, it is not a problem for me because uh, I'm the mayor of a city that is 7-to-1 Democrat. I will have no problems working with our Democratic governor and anyone else because it's not me that they're dealing with. It's the people of this city. On the other hand, as a Republican, I have new opportunities to deal with people who might not think well of Philadelphia, may not feel welcome. But listen, in our state, um, Philadelphia is the economic engine of our entire state. If our city's not doing well, uh, people out in the, in the in the far reaches of Pennsylvania, you know, will not receive the benefits of the money that we generate, and and we're not doing well. So we have to do a lot better for everyone's sake, and I think they understand that. And and so when I go global, there are tremendous opportunities. For example, many of our communities that are under-resourced or undervalued, it's because we don't have opportunities for them. And we're going to need to create opportunities. For example, uh, I would love to see a robust Haitian community, uh, more in our Mexican community, our Liberian community. I'm a big supporter of Africa Down. I think it's a wonderful, fantastic idea. All of these things bring investment. Uh, every one of our communities can be an economic engine. When I think about 52nd Street back, uh, you know, back in the early 60s and the 50s, when it was a live entertainment uh, mecca with jazz and comedy, um, when I think about uh, the, the sound of Philadelphia, all the music that came out of Philadelphia, all the talented people that were able to 
produce um, music, enjoy their life, uh, have aspirations, and, and, and all of that to the benefit of our city. There's so many things that we can do really based on understanding that people have tremendous gifts, but we have to provide them an environment where they, they can shine. And I think that will distinguish our city uh, in the future from where it is today. Your opponent in the upcoming election, uh, the Democratic nominee for mayor, is one of your former colleagues, Sherelle Parker, so you know her well. Uh, You guys have worked together for several years. Uh, Why David O. and not Sherelle Parker? Well, I think I'm the better person to handle the most important issue, that is crime and violence. One, I'm a former Philadelphia assistant district attorney. So as a former prosecutor and a former attorney who's done criminal defense, I I am very knowledgeable on a firsthand basis of what it takes to do an effective job of serving the public, not violating laws, but serving the public and enforcing laws and making our city safe. I've been the strongest advocate for public safety on city council, and my positions are consistent. Uh, I did not um, flip-flop uh, in, in what I believe, because what I believe has existed since I was uh, a young person in King Sessing in southwest Philadelphia. On, on her part, she has changed her positions, and we have some very big differences. For example, um, you know, she did sign the defund the police letter. Uh, she did vote for a budget that uh, reduced the uh, police budget by $33 million. I did not. Um, because I have a consistency of what I believe it takes to make Philadelphia safe. And I'm very confident in what I know. Um, therefore, I'm not a flip-flopper. I don't, I don't switch around. The, the other thing is that in some of the things that I've done, for example, I did a resolution on minimum force training for police. That is mandatory minimum force training for police. As much as I support law enforcement and public safety, I also believe that we have to train our police officers. It's our duty as a city to ensure that our officers are supported, they have well-equipped, all of those things, but they have to be trained not only in how to um, use their firearms and, and, and physical force, they have to be trained in how to not use firearms and not use physical force, or if necessary, handle people appropriately, not with full force. Um, and that takes training. I did that bill. My opponent, Parker, uh, voted against that bill, that, that resolution. I, I tried to uh, and successfully got $500,000 for the immediate relocation of nine mothers who were being attacked with deadly violence, really because some young people believed their children uh, had cooperated with law enforcement and were going after the mothers. You know, uh, a year later, we couldn't, the the administration said they didn't know where the money was, and they did not move uh, those mothers. I tried to stop the process of approving of a uh, transfer ordinance until the administration came forward to tell us where the money was. But, you know, my colleagues did not support that, including, you know, Councilmember Parker. I have fought with the Department of Human Services over the illegal removal of children from their families. Uh, We know it's illegal, it's improper, and when they are removed, um, they are traumatized and oftentimes physically and sexually abused. Um, She voted against my resolution. It it came back to council, and eventually, because so many mothers came in just with so much evidence and proof 
of this outrageous uh, harm to their children that uh, a resolution passed. You know, I think there are, are many issues, and I think that's one of the things we need to do. We need to have a debate. We need to bring this out so she can respond and I can challenge and she can challenge me and, and I can respond. You know, for example, what she said is that she would hire 300 more police officers. Well, that sounds good unless you know that we are actually short 1,300 police officers. So 300 police officers, that won't do uh, anything because we're losing as many police officers per year. So I think, you know, it is just the, the, the need to have a knowledgeable person who can really deal with the problem of violence immediately and then bring up education and uh, cleaning the community and creating affordable housing and, and jobs and things like that and know how to do it without burdening the people to the extent that they're lo losing their homes. And I mean the property tax. We cannot simply continue to tax people who are residents in our city to the point where we're seeing entire communities um, being lost to uh, gentrification. So will there be a debate? Uh, that's up in the air because uh, I have agreed there must have been at least 12 requests for debates from uh, major entities and smaller entities, 6ABC, um, uh, NBC, uh, CBS, uh, Aldea, you know, a lot of different uh, entities have tried to schedule debates. She has not responded to any of them. I have responded in the affirmative. I just say, like, whenever she's available, I'm available. Uh, she did agree to a, uh, it's a conversation with the Please Touch Museum, but the, but the requirements are that I arrive after she's arrived. I go to a different room. She speaks first, then I come out second. I just got confirmation of a smaller event in Kensington, which is about the opioid crisis and heroin. But again, they're, they're working on separate arrival times and speaking times. That means we don't appear together. So basically, she's going to speak first, and then after she's gone, I'll speak next. That's not the, what people are looking for. And the reason the debates are important is because a lot of times people don't follow the issues. Um, they want to see... Uh, two candidates uh, standing next to each other, uh, talking about the issues, challenging each other for things that may be incorrect, the, uh, statements that made that are not accurate. Who would know better than the candidates themselves? And that way they can watch this unfold and get a sense of who they're going to vote for. I, I, I think more than anything, it's important to have debates because uh, the public needs to hear what you're trying to do for them, no matter whether they vote or they don't vote. The next mayor is going to impact their lives and their children's lives. But the most important thing we can do to turn the city around is to get the public on board. And, and for the public to get on board, they need to go through a process where they feel like you're legitimate. And so, for example, if there's some issues that I am championing that people don't like, but I win the mayor's race. A lot of times they'll say, well, that wasn't my candidate. I didn't like those issues, but he won fair and square, and he did explain everything to me. So I am going to give this person a chance to be my mayor and, and, to, and to turn our city around, because that's something we can all agree needs to be done. David O., Republican nominee for mayor of the city of Philadelphia, do me a favor and just tell our Philly's favorite listeners where they can get more information about your campaign. Yes, thank you. Um, uh, just go to my website at 
davido.com. It's spelled D-A-V-I-D-O-H.com. And you can look around there and may lead you to other things as well. Uh, Other than that, you can call my campaign office at 267-346-5380 or send an email to vote.davido at gmail.com and we'll answer your questions as well. Sir, I want to thank you for coming in the pastor's office today. Uh, I want to thank you for going into such detail on some of the issues that you're going to tackle on day one if you are elected the mayor of the city of Philadelphia. Uh, We want to encourage you to continue doing what you're doing, continue to put Philly uh, in a position where it is a priority uh, for our elected officials. God bless you, sir, and thank you for coming in today. God bless you, Pastor. Thank you very much. All right. Hey, Philly's favorite listeners, it's Pastor Jonathan Mason, and I want to thank uh, the Republican nominee for the mayor of the city of Philadelphia, David O., for joining us in our first segment. Uh, That conversation went about 40 minutes, so we don't have a whole lot of time left. But what I wanted to do in our final segment of the day is I wanted to bring on someone from the Museum of the American Revolution. Let me tell you why. I really believe that the Museum of the American Revolution is one of Philadelphia's best kept secrets. It's not a secret, but I feel like everybody needs to go there. Uh, I took my sons there, uh, oh gosh, about two months ago, uh, and we went to see the Fortin exhibit. If you've not been there to see the exhibit about the black founders of Philadelphia, uh, I want to encourage you to go. Now, I love that exhibit, but I got to tell you, There was another exhibit that blew my mind. Uh, I think it was the last thing we saw while we were there, and that was George Washington's tent. Blew my mind. All right, all right, we're going to talk a little bit more about it. No need for me to keep talking when I've got a representative from the Museum of the American Revolution right here, Meg Bowersox, the manager of Gallery Interpretation. Welcome into the pastor's office. How are you this afternoon? I'm doing real well. I'm very happy to be here. Well, listen, we're glad to have you. Meg, I was blown away by George Washington's tent. I'm telling you, tell our listeners about this exhibit, please. Yeah, so um, we have the original tent that George Washington used during the Revolutionary War from about Valley Forge all the way to the end of the war. And it has this crazy and amazing history even after the war is over um, that I don't want to give too many spoilers that you would have to see in the theater, but it is really just a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to see something from the Revolutionary War that still survives and exists. And it's not only the story of George Washington, but it's talking about all the people he interacted with, from um, people of African descent to women to different military officers. All those people were involved um, with Washington and his tent. Guys, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, anybody in your family that you bring with you is going to be in awe. Uh, when they go into this exhibit and they see this tent. But also the exhibit on the Fortins, Meg, was just outstanding. We probably spent, oh my gosh, about two and a half hours uh, going through the Black Founders exhibit. Uh, And it's still available. It's still there. Uh, Why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about that exhibit? 
Sure, yeah. Uh, our Black Founders exhibition focuses on the story of James Fortin as well as his future generations. Um, and this is really the first time a, a full exhibition has been dedicated to the story of James Fortin and his family. You know, the local Philadelphian in me loves this story so much because he lived just around the street from the museum, and it talks about his service during the Revolutionary War as a privateer. Um, he becomes a sailmaker after the Revolutionary War, working and putting his money towards the abolition movement. And it really, the exhibit doesn't just stop with him, but it continues throughout the rest of his family and through the future generations, um, even leading into the Civil War, which is pretty amazing. And there are some really great artifacts from local institutions like museums like the Seaport Museum, um, but we also have some things on loan to us from St. Thomas, Episcopal Church, as well as um, Mother Bethel. I was just getting ready to say the bench for, I, I know I'm speaking and giving away all the great secrets, but the bench from Mother Bethel, uh, to see one of the original benches from the church uh, where they held organizational meetings um, is just something that uh, when you walk away, you're just in awe. Yeah, it's it's incredible that it that it still survives and it's still speaking that history. It's amazing to just have that. Uh, you know, to be a, you know, a lot of my job is giving tours. And one of the best things is to be able to stop at that and just be able to look at it and have people reflect on what that means. And the idea of community, especially within the, you know, the African-American community here in Philadelphia during that time, for sure. Well, the fall is here. uh, And I know you've got a lot of exciting things going on at the museum. Uh, Talk to us a little bit about what exhibits our listeners can come and engage with this coming fall. Yeah, we have so much going on. Um, we have a great lecture coming up next week uh, with Akil Ridamar talking about his book, The Words That Made Us. Actually, in the first weekend of October, we're going to be in Germantown for their weekend, Revolutionary War weekend, uh, where we actually have an exact replica of George Washington's tent. So we have the real one, like we talked about in the exhibits. We have this really incredible replica tent that we're able to take to different places. Um, And we're actually going to be in Germantown, which is really exciting, on October 7th from 10 to 4. Um, So you can feel free to experience what life was like for George Washington there. Um, And then what's really incredible, our signature event that we do every single year at the end of October, um, 28th and 29th, is Occupied Philadelphia. So what a lot of people don't know is that the British actually occupied Philadelphia um, from the winter of 1777 to the spring of 1778. And we recreate that moment here, and the British are going to occupy our museum, our friends at Carpenter's Hall, and we're going to be talking about what life was like um, for Philadelphians during that moment, which is really exciting. And of course, you know, even before that, we have our Indigenous Peoples Weekend, October 7th through 9th, um, and we're talking about the various ways Native Americans were involved during the Revolutionary War, but also how um, they're still relevant even today. So we're going to have Meet the Revolution with Kahala and Jordan Smith, who are interpreters, talking about the culture of Indigenous people. We're also going to have um, Lenape social dances and storytelling as well throughout the day, all weekend long. And again, that's October 7th through 9th. And there's a bunch of stuff on our website that you can head to to check out more details as well. What I love about the museum is that the exhibits are interactive. Uh, you, you can visit some of the exhibits with, for the museum on your cell phone, on your computer. Why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about that? 
Yeah, so when you uh, go to our, our website, amrevmuseum.org, you can, uh, if you click Learn and Explore, there's a lot of opportunities there. You can see um, highlights from our collection on our website, but you can also see 360-degree virtual tour of our main galleries, um, as well as our special exhibitions of previous, but also our Black Founders exhibition that's currently in our building, too. The Museum of the American Revolution, uh, again, let's just tell our listeners where you're located, hours of operation, and, and how they can get more information. Sure. We are located at the corner of 3rd and Chestnut, just a few blocks down from Independence Hall and the Liberty Bell. Uh, we're open seven days a week from 10 to 5, and uh, we look forward to seeing you here. And our website has all of our, uh, you can buy tickets online. We have walking tours, highlights tours, everything. You can find us online and come visit us in person. Philly's favorite listeners, you don't want to miss this opportunity. I'm telling you right now, it is an experience that you will absolutely enjoy and reflect on uh, for years after you visit. Meg, thank you for joining us in the pastor's office today to give some information about the Museum of the American Revolution. And I promise you, some of our Philly's favorite listeners are going to be popping up to say hello and enjoy the experience. Uh, Well, sounds good. We look forward to seeing you here, and it's been great being on here with you. All right, and we'll be right back with a final word after these messages. Hey, Philly's favorite listeners, it's Pastor Jonathan Mason, and in our final segment today, I just want to talk to you. I want to ask you a question. Have you told anybody about Philly's favor? No, seriously, have you told anybody about the only FM gospel radio station in Philadelphia that emanates from Philadelphia. We're in our third year now, and we're making some changes here at the station, some great changes, some changes that we believe are going to be better for you, the listener, better for the community, better for the city at large. Uh, We're bringing in some new individuals to help us. But what we need from you is for you to tell somebody about Philly's Favor. Tell them to download the app. Tell them to go to the Google Store. Tell them to go to the App Store on iPhone. Tell them to download the Philly's Favor app. Tell them they can listen at 100.7 FM. I'm really pastoring right now because every Sunday we tell somebody to bring somebody. I need you to tell the community about this radio station. Because we are getting prepared to blow up here in the city of Philadelphia. Blow up for the glory of God. So if you love what this station has done, I'm encouraging you. Tell your family and friends. Text them right now. Call them right now. Tell them download the Phillies Favor app. Tell them don't forget to listen to Brother Marcus Monday and Friday right here on Phillies Favor from 2 to 6. He does a wonderful show. It's a great interactive experience. Tell them not to forget to listen to the W. Lonnie Herndon Show Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday from 2 to 6. We've got Daria Jacobs on the weekend. We've got Todd Trivet. We've got got Marvin Sapp. We've got so many great personalities on this radio station. All we need you to do is tell somebody about it. All right, here's what I want you to do. I want you to stay tuned. Stay tuned to our social media. Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. Stay tuned to the station. I'm promising you we got some great things in store for you this fall and going into 2024, and you want to be a part of it. So thank you for the support that you've given to Philly's Favor so far. 
but I thank you in advance for all the people that you're going to tell about this station as we continue to grow under the grace and for the glory of God. Thank you, Philly's favorite listeners, and I'll talk to you same time, same channel, next Sunday, right here in the pastor's office. Time and talk now about the state that we are living in. Mm-hmm. Political, spiritual, maybe some life. While you are listening to Phyllis Favor. Yeah. Take a minute, turn the radio up. Yeah. Take a seat in the pastor's office. Son.